You've probably heard that in China there are official registered churches allowed by the Communist Party. So why don't all the churches join in that state-approved system? This pastor in China explains why he doesn't think his church can register with the government. Christ is the head of our church. We submit to Christ and his word. If he tells us that we need to elect godly men, not one sent by the government, that is the reason why we remain unregistered. We believe that we must preach consecutive verse by verse in the Bible. When we come to difficult verse, we have to preach it. We cannot say because that would offend the government. We have to preach it. We will believe that abortion is a sin. We believe that if God wants you to have many children, preach it. But the government policy now has changed to two children. Now we can't say you can have four or five if we follow the government's order. That's why we remain unregistered. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. For the second week in a row, we're taking you to China here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio. What an opportunity to find someone who has to do his work underground and let his voice be heard right here on the radio and online through Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I had the opportunity to meet this pastor on a trip to China. I needed to travel light in order to not draw attention from the authorities because I didn't want to look like a journalist. We recorded on a cell phone, and you'll notice that the sound quality isn't our normal broadcast quality. But listen for the heart of this pastor who's risking arrest and imprisonment for the gospel. Are you ready? Are your bags packed? Let's go to China. Today, I'm not going to tell you exactly where we are in China, uh, and I'm not going to tell you exactly who we're talking to, but we are going to call him Brother Infu. Uh, the, the word Infu means blessing in Chinese, and we're going to talk about uh, the blessings of God on the church in China, on our brothers and sisters here. Brother Infu, welcome to our program. Oh, it's so good to be here with you all here. Thank you. For the overall situation for Christians in China, is it getting better? Are more people coming to Christ? Is it getting harder? Uh, are people being lured away from Christ by either commercialism or, or government pressure or whatever else? Just kind of give us the 30,000-foot view all over this huge country uh, of what's going on with God's people here. Well, it's a blessing to be able to talk to you all and uh, share some of uh, our perspective and opinion. Uh, sometimes when I share about the condition and the state of uh, the, the, the condition of the church in China, I could get into trouble. Uh, <laughs> We're going to try to avoid that. Okay. I think we see numbers. When uh, Western reporters talk about the church in China, there's an explosion. Everyone's going to church. Everyone's excited. It's good because we get to share the gospel. I don't know if everyone that goes to church are truly born again. That is the problem that we are facing. We have a lot of Western missionaries that come and do easy believism sharing of the gospel. When they come by, they say, hey, say this prayer with us. If you believe in Jesus, say this prayer and you are saved. And many people come to church thinking they are Christian. 
And that makes it very challenging for the church and my work as a pastor to shepherd these people. They think they are Christian, but their lifestyle don't match. If those Christians in the church are real Christians that establish and know and understand the Bible and the gospel, then they are ready to face persecution. God's people will not fall away, that's for sure. I think in the last 15 years, the church, or at least 10 years in our city here, we have seen churches getting bigger. On Sunday, we have churches that meets in the hundreds now. And that becomes, in some ways, good to show that there is growth. In some ways, also, people are focused more on numbers and money and all that. Uh, the good thing about persecution is that it goes back to the 80s and 90s where it's a house church. There is no focus on, oh, we don't have enough money. We can't pay the rent. Now we have to dumb down our message, speak less on sin, don't talk about homosexuality. But if it's small, we can meet in a brother or sister's house, 20 people, preach the pure truth of the Word of God. And people don't want to move. People don't want to go to another uh, far away place in the city. People are comfortable meeting here. But when persecution happens, they are forced to go. And when they go to that far away city, they share the gospel, they start another church. And I want to ask, as a pastor, how do you get your people ready to face persecution and, and face it victoriously, not to be defeated by it, but to be faithful under persecution? We believe in expository preaching, where we take verse by verse from the Word of God, consecutive preaching. So we go through the text of the Bible. We don't use what man's opinion. We use God's Word to preach. Even our songs is from the Word of God. And we use that to sing. Everything is the Bible. Bible is the Word of God. Now, because we're using the Bible, the Bible is filled with persecution stories. So we don't have to reinvent, we don't have to invent, we just merely cover the topic. And when they see that, when they read the Bible, when the Bible is preached, men and women are prepared. Let's talk a little bit. We've heard from several of the pastors that we've talked to on this visit uh, about some new regulations that are, we've heard different things. We've heard they'll absolutely, they are coming. We've heard they're being considered, maybe they'll come into power, but they could change the way the Chinese government addresses the church and responds to the church. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what it means for pastors like you and for your congregation if these regulations take effect? What's that going to mean for you? Most leaders now are gathering to talk about how to make the church survive with the new laws and if the heavy hand of the state is pressed down on the church, how do we continue to serve the people of God? Most, most cases, most leaders that we partner with, we interacted with, and also our own local church, we are going to make it into a smaller group, house church. We're going back to the 80s and 90s, where the church was just meeting in a house home. That's exactly what it means, a house church, where they met in a house. Today, most churches meet they meet in an office. It's hard to call an office church, but that came from the historical movement, house church in a local church, so in the local home. Now, will that affect us? I think it would affect us, for us, in a good positive way. The most important is to sift out true Christian and false Christian. That's number one. 
then how do we go about doing things? It would maybe hamper us in terms of festival events. Christmas, Easter, that would probably not be as big as before. A mission conference probably would be hemp. It would be, it would be targeted. Uh, sending out missionaries, offering our money in the church may be targeted because that's illegal. There are numerous cases, work-related people with jobs, with, with universities may be targeted, yes. And I think that would strengthen the Christian in, in light of persecution. So what you're saying is the work's going to go on, but maybe instead of a hundred people meeting on Sunday, it's going to be five meetings of 20 people. And in a private home, a little less easier to figure out what's going on, not as as visible to the average guy walking down the street. Uh, yes, we have about 100 plus people, and our plan is to make it probably 20 in each location. So maybe we would have five locations on Sunday, but we will have about 20 to 30 people. And so more work for the people, more work for the elders, but that's a good sacrifice. And it seems to me the immediate question then is, okay, now you need five leaders instead of one. Is that a challenge? And how is the Chinese church answering that challenge to raise up leaders? Because again, especially if you talk about going into smaller groups, there's more of them, there's more work to be done. That's a good question. Are you sure you don't live here and minister here? You sure know a lot of things. Uh, that's a very good question. When we first started the church in any ministry, we should have 2 Timothy chapter 2 in mind. That is Paul's way of dealing with ministry. He has to train up another man and trust to faithful men so that they will continue the work. And also uh, Titus chapter 1 talks about electing elders in each city. So elders, not just one, plural. So in the very beginning, we identify key leaders to raise them up and train them. So if anything happens to the senior pastor, the other elders can take over the work. Now this is hard, as you know, in this city, in this culture. Women do all the work. Women do all the work. They are hardworking people. Men, maybe in America it's a little different, men sometimes don't want to do the work. <laughs> uh, men are busy working and when they come home, they have a remote control in their hand and they switch on and they switch on the television. So they don't do the work. When it comes on Sunday, they don't serve as much as the women. And that is hard when the pastors don't insist that men must serve the local church. Insist on that, preach on that, teach on that, have a culture of that in the church. Women are to be protected. Women are to be cherished. Women serve all the time. They give, they give birth to children. They work, and now they come to church. They serve again. Where are the men? So in our church, we want to focus on the men. We want the men to do the work. So in the very beginning, when we do, and we, when we follow the word of God, follow the example of the apostle Paul, and trust to faithful men, then the church will be in good, good way. I'm Todd Nettleton here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're listening to an interview I recorded with a house church pastor inside China. I wasn't able to take a lot of gear with me. That's why the sound isn't studio quality, but it's worth it. As we hear the heart of this pastor, we're just calling Brother Infu. I want to share a, a little challenge with our listeners that, uh, that we talked about as we were talking before this interview. 
and it's something I had never thought about, I'd never even heard talked about. It's the challenge of the church in money, and we're going to maybe step on some toes here when we start talking about churches and money, but as a house church, as an unregistered church, you don't have any legal status. What does that mean as far as the money that comes in, the tithes and offerings that come into the church, and and the extra challenge that that makes for you? That And again, I had never thought about this. I'm sure most of our listeners will be like, wow, I'd never thought about what that means just to be an unregistered church with no legal status. That's a good question. When it comes to money, what we do in our church, and many of our partner churches do the same thing, because we are illegal, therefore, um, even the handling of money is illegal. That money that is in our bank account is also illegal. That is money uh, earned illegally. <laughs> and, uh, well, how... and even to have a bank account, you, you don't formally exist as anything, so even going down to open a bank account is a challenge. Yes, and the challenge is where we keep the money, whose name should we keep the money with? Because you cannot have two joint accounts. Like in your country, you can have two joint accounts, but in China, one. And even husband and wives in China do not have two names in one account. Wow. So, so in the church, for example, if you are in our church and you are the treasurer, the money is kept with you in your name. Let's, let's give you a name, Mr. ABC. So the, the money is parked in your bank. Let's say we have $100,000 in your name. And lo and behold, you need an extra cash. And you take the money and you run off. The church is in trouble. <laughs> thankfully, not thankfully, in our church, we have uh, men of integrity. They have not run away with the money yet. <laughs> with that sensitivity, with that challenge, how do we do church and how do we keep the money? How do we keep God's money? And I'm thinking even of the guy who all of a sudden $10,000 shows up in his account. If the government happens to notice that, they come see him and say, what are you doing? Where's this $10,000 come from? I mean, that could create some problems for him also as an individual, as well as the church as a whole. With a new regulation, definitely. They could see the money trail. They could see how come there's an extra $10,000 pop up in his bank account. They want to shut it down, take the money easily. So what we do is uh, in our own church, what we have to do now is a healthy thing. We simply distribute the, the, the money to a few accounts. So that means one person will not hold all the money, which is dangerous because right. you could run away. Uh, <laughs> therefore, we, hold, we, we have a few men and keep the money in that case. Uh, even that can be traced. So those men have committed to the church. They know there is a cost. I think the key thing is that most of our leaders know there is a cost to pay for doing church ministry. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. There is a cost. One of the interesting things to me about Christians in China and in other hostile and restricted nations is when they come to Christ, they know there's a cost. It's not a surprise to them. It's not something that they've never thought about. It's like, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, here's what I could have to pay for this. The typical, in my opinion, in my experience, the American Christian, that's not a part of coming to Christ. 
It's not a, okay, thought process of, okay, what could this cost me? What, what could happen to me if I follow Christ? So when bad things happen to American Christians, they're kind of taken by surprise. Like, oh, wow, you know, how did this happen? When hardship comes to our brothers and sisters in hostile and restricted nations who have thought about that before they ever decided to follow Christ, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, it's happening now. It's just a part of what they see as normal Christian life. Uh, and I hope that's a lesson that, that we're sharing with American Christians. It is normal to have hardship when you follow Jesus Christ. It's normal to have sacrifices. The church, uh, it's about suffering. From the very beginning, the church suffered. Jesus' message about counting the cost, that's in his message. So everyone who believes in the gospel, who believes in Jesus Christ and his message, from the very beginning, they need to count the cost of following him. When we preach the gospel, we always tell the people that you are actually following Christ. And after you believe in Him, bad things might happen. We are not telling you that you will have a wonderful bed of roses, things will get better, you will keep your job, you'll get married, you will have a lot of money. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Your family might disown you, just like what uh, the gospel talks about. Your family will come after you. Your boss might not like you because you're more honest now. You're not going to change the numbers in the accounts, which happens all the time here. And they will not like you. We have a sister, give you an example. One sister, the boss asked, Christian boss, asked her to change the numbers on the account. She said, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. And the boss says, how are you going to find a job here in this country if you're that honest? She said, I cannot do that. But if you insist, I change another, change my position. One month after that, she left the company. She said, I cannot work for a man who calls himself a Christian and asks me to change the numbers. What a godly sister. So um, she's still single, godly sister. Uh, she will do what is right before God. Uh, this, is the man, this is the man and women of our, our, our people in the church. They count the cost that they will lose their job. Our families will not like what they believe because now they're Christians. So there's a cost. So it's very important that the church tell the people there is a cost. They're not surprised that, oh, after they believe that, oh, why bad things happen? Why my husband don't love me? Why my wife is this way to me? Why my kids is like this? They count the cost. So counting the cost is the message of Christ as well. Let's talk a little bit for our listeners about the, the registered versus the unregistered church here and kind of help us understand what's the difference uh, and for those like you that, that are not registered, why not? Wouldn't that make your life easier if you would just register? It's a, it's a good question why we are not registered. Uh, number one, we believe that uh, Christ is the head of our church. We submit to Christ and His Word. If He tells us that we need to elect godly men, not one sent by the government, that is the reason why we remain unregistered. Now, is it wrong to register? No, because obviously many churches in America, you have that registering, non-profit and all of that. Uh, if the registering is for the purpose uh, that we have an accountability and that we are free of government control, fine. But if that's not the case, the registering is to have more control over our church and our finances, our doctrine, our teaching, even our leaders, then that's not fine. That would go against, that would really go against scripture understanding of a local church 
and independence in the local church. We believe Christ is the head of the church. We believe that we must preach consecutive verse by verse in the Bible. When we come to difficult verse, we have to preach it. We cannot say because that would offend the government. We have to preach it. We will believe that abortion is a sin. We believe that if God wants you to have many children, preach it. But the government policy now has changed to two children. Now we can't say you can have four or five if we follow the government's order. That's why we remain unregistered. Have you had encouragement or pressure to register your church? And, and if so, what does that look like? How, do, how does that happen that they come along and say, well, pastor, here's what we'd like you to do. Uh, we have not. It would be very complex to register. One of our leaders in the church came from a persecuted church, a well-known church. The government had told them to register, and they tried to register <laughs> for one year. They prepared the finance, they prepared the work, they had lawyers. They tried to do it exactly according to the law. And after they were ready, it was rejected. It's complex. It's so complex that they will not do that, even though you are supposed to register, but it's not possible. Where do we register? Even if you want to, how do you register it? So that's not, that's not possible for today. So that's interesting to me because the government would say, well, we want all these churches to register. That would solve all their problems and our problems too. That would be the, the perfect scenario. But then as you say, there are churches, even ones that want to try to register, they can't do it. They get rejected for it. So it, it kind of shares that the misinformation campaign that, that registration is kind of the, the solve all the problems uh, of, the, of the Chinese church. Yes. Uh, just take uh, an expat international church. Let's say you come and you have a group of uh, people, all foreigners, and you want to start an expat church. Practically, if you do that, where do you register? You can't call up the office of the religious bureau and say, hey, we want to register a church. They will let you run around and try, and by the time you run around to register, there's no place to meet. And if you meet, that's illegal. So if you want to follow by the book, and you follow that, that will take you years. But where do you even begin to register? Now, for us here, locally, it's just not possible. Let's talk a little bit as we wrap up. One of the things we always want to challenge our listeners to do is pray. We're talking this week about China and the church in China. How can you advise us or how can you coach us to pray effectively for the church in China right now? Uh, do pray for us that, um, that the pastors, the leaders of churches like our church, that we will be faithful to the Word of God and to continue to preach the Word of God each week, and same with all the churches in China, that the leaders will be faithful to preach the Word of God, and men and women to hold on to the Word of God, the promises of God, despite circumstances, religious persecution, whatever happened in life, knowing that God is sovereign, and He already planned it out, we already know the end, the end is good. We are, we, we, it's not evil versus good, there's no such thing as yin and yang, and we need to have a balance. This is all orchestrated by God, this is for our own good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the most famous uh, verse quoted by everyone. Uh, it will all work out for good for those who love God. It will not work out for good for those who don't love God, but for those who love God, it will be good. 
So pray that men and women will be faithful and that this is a refining process for our people in the church. This is a good thing. We don't see this as a bad thing. Pray for, for, for men and women to be strengthened when bad things happen, persecution happens, suffering happen, that we can endure all things. We're talking this week with Brother Infu, which we're calling him Brother Infu, which means blessing in Chinese. We're talking about the blessings of persecution. We're talking about the blessings of God on the church here in China. Uh, Brother Infu, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about your experience or the experience of the Chinese body of Christ following Jesus in a, in a closed nation? As you pray for us, we would like to pray for the church in America as well. And the church in America has always been an example that we look to and that we follow and that we learn from many good teachers and authors. Uh, many of our people listen to them with translation and with subtitles and we listen to them, that we look up to them. We are praying and we want to pray that the church in America is strong in the word. When the, when the Supreme Court uh, had the homosexual passing, uh, we knew about uh, it immediately on social media, immediately the next day here in China. Things like that affect us. Things like that, we get it firsthand. Whatever happens in America in the church, we hear about it. So we want to pray for the church in America to be strong so that we don't, some of our churches don't look up to things that are done wrongly, homosexual marriage all those liberal ideas. We just want churches. We want to pray for American church to be faithful to the word of God. And then hand in hand, the American church, the Chinese church, and all the churches around the world, hand in hand, believing in the word of God and preaching the word of God and then waiting for the coming Messiah and all see the glory of Christ one day, all believing in the same thing, that we can fellowship in this harmony where we all believe in the word of God. And I love it that you bring out the partnership between the American church and the Chinese church. We pray for them, we encourage them, we provide resources, they pray for us too, and pray that we'll walk faithfully with Christ just as we pray, they'll walk faithfully with Christ. We have different challenges, uh, different things that we encounter along the way, but that call is the same, to be faithful, to follow Christ. Brother Enfu, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for your ministry here in China and for sharing with us and with our listeners some of the blessings and the challenges of being an unregistered church pastor in China. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for praying for us. This is a joy and we, it's a blessing to us. So thank you very much. That's Brother Infu, a pastor in China who puts his freedom and his life on the line to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ. I recorded that interview with him inside China. My name is Todd Nettleton, and I'm so grateful for that rare opportunity to talk with this brother inside his nation. In so many ways, he is isolated from the rest of the world. His voice is restricted by the Chinese government. Every time his church meets, it's illegal. But today we've been able to share his story widely so that you can hear his heart and benefit from the things that God has taught him while serving Christ inside a restricted nation. 
If you'd like to meet more of our brothers and sisters who are serving Jesus around the world, visit the archives at vomradio.net. You can listen to every previous episode of VOM Radio at our website, vomradio.net. I hope that you'll be back with us next week. We're going to hear from Andrew Scott. He's the president of Operation Mobilization, one of the strategic partner organizations that we work alongside of here at VOM. We're going to get Andrew's perspective on the ways the Lord is working around the world and how you and I can be involved in that work. So please be back with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.